as they are making their way out, um, want to uh, make mention, please be in prayer for the Deck family. Uh, they are heading out tomorrow day, Switzerland. He's not biking over, but he's going to bike when he gets there. We need to pray for him. Please name the event. Uh, it's called Long Course Duathlon World And how far are we going uh, in the race? Total? Like, give me the breakdown. It's a six-mile run followed by a 90-mile bike followed by an 18-mile run. You got that, right? Six-mile run, six-mile run, 90-mile bike. 18-mile run. run. Nobody chasing you. Wow. Probably so. Because he will be wearing the American flag, your suit. He's representing USA, guys. I mean, I don't think we realize. Yeah. Yeah. Nate's not going to tell you this stuff, but I'm going to tell you. If I find out, I'm going to let you know. <laughs> and uh, I heard, like, second in the nation ranking your division? What was this I heard? Rumor. Currently. But we're going to change that. It's going to be number one when we get back. Anyway, I'm just saying. <laughs> That's what I heard when you said that. I'm sorry. Maybe not. <laughs> um, that's awesome, guys. Um, and so uh, pray for him while they're gone. Two weeks, 10 days, something like that. What is it? 10 days. So pray for them while they're away. Whole family's going. Pray for the air flight, for the little ones. Seriously, guys, we really need to hold them in close prayer uh, while he is over there. Uh, doing this event. Uh, with that said, he's already going over there a winner because we had a little men's competition back sometime back here at the church and um, we did some manly challenges. We shot targets and we uh, ate some meat and did some guy stuff and uh, that just caused us to decide who would get to pick first in this little television program on the History Channel called Alone. Not endorsing it, but it's a, it's a show that uh, I personally enjoy watching. Um, it's these people that get dropped off out in the middle of nowhere with nothing but their own cameras, and they have to learn to work those cameras, and they got to survive off the land. Nobody within miles from them. Nobody. Just them. Alone. In the wilderness. they got to build their shelter. they got to eat. they got to you know, do their own thing and survive. And everyone who survives the longest wins half a million dollars. Well, we all made our picks. And this year's winner of a loan, Mr. Nathan Deck. Come on up, Nathan. I got something for you. A little Hibbit card for those of you who uh, want to stop by and visit Mr. Andrew Pivovarsky working today, I assume. So... Congratulations, the gift you. card to I, you. I, I watched exactly... Zero episodes. The one episode we watched together in there. That's right. So, that's the way it always is. NCAA is the guy who's like, what, what sport is this? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> congratulations. <don't> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but we will be pulling for you even though we don't run and bike. So good to go. Good to go. Guys, uh, we are continuing our study. Nine marks of a healthy church. And uh, I'm, I'm excited... Uh, because tonight we're going to get to see ourselves as a healthy church at the Varner Shindig, because I do believe that's a sign of a healthy church, wanting to spend time together outside of these four walls. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of churches out there that people, they only see each other on Sunday. And in larger churches, they don't even know 
the people in the church. This is a great opportunity for Community Baptist Church to get together and get to know each other, spend some time in fellowship. You love the worship music this morning, amen. We're going to be doing more of that this afternoon, 5 o'clock at our house. We'll be lifting praise to the Lord. And then we're going to have some good southern food, fried chicken and mac and cheese. I'm coming off the keto diet today, by the way, just so y'all don't be, hold me accountable today. Zero calories, zero carbs, I don't care what it is. Anyway, uh, going to be a good day, and I'm looking forward to you guys. Please come, make plans to come out. It's, it's going to be a good time, and uh, we appreciate, appreciate y'all taking the time to do that. And, you know, we may loosen things up a little bit, you know, lose the jacket, let the hair down, when it gets kind of near the evening hour, and, you know, may get Seth to do a little karaoke. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll have a good time, though. Should be fun. But we're talking about nine marks of a healthy church. And again, I do think a healthy church is, is seen, uh, lived out in its community uh, amongst one another. And I believe I can, as we were talking this morning in Sunday school, boast in the Lord on Community Baptist Church. We are blessed, guys. We're blessed because of you. You're what makes this church who it is. And um, we want to encourage you in that. So we're in Mark 8, discipleship and growth. I know Pastor Nate spoke last time on missions. That was a bonus feature. You know, get a DVD, you get a bonus feature. That was the bonus feature last week. And, and again, by no stretch of the imagination are there only nine marks to a healthy church. These are just certain key ones that Mark Dever has focused on in his book. Those of you who have Right Now Media, I encourage you, go online. This study is online. You can see there's like 14, 15, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of sessions, uh, conference sessions uh, about this subject. And I would invite you to take time and look at that in, in your own home. But I want to talk to us this morning specifically on this, Mark, discipleship and growth. I think some people have been taking a little literal around here um, on growing the church. Because the case you've been asleep or under rock, We've got growth happening with three new additions on their way. And I find it funny that we're doing the study of nine marks. And all three daddies are marks. <laughs> What's up with that? That's awesome, yeah. Mark Barnett Jr., Mark Gentry, and Mark Stevens. Where do you have one? Oh, they're in Newburn. They're at the beach today. That's right. Suffering for Jesus. All right. Isn't that funny, though? All three marks. Now marks are, <laughs> some of you guys better watch out. We start doing, you know, the, I won't name names. <laughs> I, I won't go there, guys. Some of you guys, you, you can thank me later. I almost got you all in trouble. But anyway, we'll just move on. All right. So, um, a little juice on this thing, bro? Ah, oh, it's behind me. I hate it when that happens. Yeah, no, it's not behind me either. I'm going to trade it out. Oh, we'll just stare at this all day. That'll make you, nice that'll make you grow, won't it? That'll make you grow. Uh, it's not the first nor the last. Guys, let me read you a story um, from, this, from this, this chapter. Because I think it's important when you first hear this, some of you are going to resonate with this. Some of you are going to say, yeah, what's wrong? You know, well, that's me, that's me. I understand this guy. Mark Dever starts off in his book in this section. He says, Rob prayed to receive Christ when he was 17. He had had a hard few months and he felt done in. 
To say that he was at the end of his rope might be too dramatic. That's basically how he felt. Rob's never been much for church, but he had nothing against it. He wasn't an atheist or anything. He simply had never seen much in it. Then his friend Sean invited him to go to a Christian meeting with him, and Rob was feeling down, so uh, he thought, well, maybe this will help. At the meeting, he talked with Sean and with a nice young lady named Sarah. Thank you. You better not be talking to my Sarah. I'm just putting that out there. But anyway, he was talking to a nice young lady named Sarah until almost midnight. Yeah, that wasn't happening. Uh, the conversation started out light, but became fairly serious when Sean and then Sarah began to share some things that they had gone through recently. Eventually, it just got to Rob. He didn't break down and cry. He just opened up and was more honest with these two people than he usually was even with himself. My life feels out of control. Everything seems to be going wrong. And the things that aren't going wrong don't seem to matter to me. And that's when he did it. In five minutes or less, Sarah and Sean told him about the wonderful life he could have as a Christian and the free gift he could have right now of forgiveness from God for everything he'd ever done wrong and eternal life with God in heaven when he died. It seemed like the best thing Rob had been offered in a long time and it also seemed kind of, well, sweet that these two people would sit there and listen to him and tell him these kind of things. When Rob asked how he could sign up, Sean and Sarah handed him a little booklet and pointed to a paragraph in bold letters printed on the back cover. It was a prayer. Repeat after me. And Sean and Rob did. Each time Sean read a line and paused, Rob repeated the line. He was reading them to God. He was praying. And that was that. Sean and Sarah told him excitedly that he had become a Christian. Because God promised that if anyone confessed his sins, God would forgive him. Rob knew that he had done bad things, so he prayed. And there it was. It was over and done with. He was saved. In the years that follow, Rob lived a pretty, under, pretty upstanding life. By the time he was 40, some people even thought of him as a pillar of the church. He got involved in a church where the preaching was usually exciting. The sermons were short. <laughs> well, obviously it wasn't community. Uh, to the point and filled with good stories, memorable anecdotes, and moving illustrations. Rob really loved to listen, especially to the stories. He would have had to confess had anyone cornered him that he didn't really know his Bible very well. He was just honest. Though he taught Sunday school for several years, he couldn't really tell you where most of the books in the Bible were or why the Exodus was important or what the book of Revelation was about. Rob had his own thoughts about God and shared these with people, but he didn't really get them from the Bible. They were just the things he'd heard and thought himself. He imagined the gospel to be a pretty straightforward offer from God to forgive our sins if we would just own up to them. Yeah, 
That one's mine. He knew that Jesus and the cross were important. He wasn't sure exactly how, but he knew they were important. If the truth were known, Rob thought of conversion kind of like the decision to buy a new car or some other momentous decision in, in, in life. It was big, well, a little scary, but it was just something you had to do. Everyone, he thought, should get around to it sometime, and sooner would be better than later, because you know, you, you, you never know. Evangelism to Rob was what the church staff did, and what he had done himself maybe a couple of times. He had to do it a bit of it back when, when they had the pastor who was big on knocking on doors and, and, and then once when he went as a chaperone on the youth choir trip and a, and a couple of the boys had some questions about what it meant to be baptized and join the church. So, so he had talked to them about it. Actually, Rob himself had never joined the church. But most people probably didn't realize that either. He went through periods of more involvement and periods of less involvement Sometimes he attended every Sunday for a year, and then other times he wouldn't be there for a month, two months, three months. And honestly, he kind of liked it that way. He was able to pick and choose the things he wanted to get involved with. After all, joining the church had always seemed to him like giving someone a blank check. And then there was the problems a few years back when his daughter, who was in the church choir, had been taught some things that he thought was just crazy. Why, if they had gone on, his daughter, she could have even ended up in a foreign mission field or something. So he had forbid her to go to choir, youth group, Bible study, or even church for a while. He didn't go himself for the better part of a year. He wasn't too worried about it, though, because he believed, once saved, always saved. And he knew that he had been saved because he had prayed that prayer. Y'all remember that prayer, right? He prayed that prayer with Sarah and Sean. He didn't really have anything to worry about. Besides, at that time they had a pastor with whom he didn't get along very well with. Well, we know it's not community now, right? I'm just kidding. And to be honest, he figured he would wait him out. He had seen pastors come and pastors go. Some of the new things this pastor wanted to do really bothered him. He wanted to give a lot more money to missions when there was plenty of work to be done on their own building. He talked about the church changing things like having elders. He even talked about church discipline, which to Rob sounded scary and judgmental and unchristian. Rob knew that most pastors didn't last long. Especially if Rob let it be known that he was avoiding church involvement for a while because of a particular pastor. Is it surprising that Rob wasn't really growing as a Christian? And more than that, it didn't bother him that he wasn't growing as a Christian. Even if Rob's not concerned about growth as Christian, George Barna, in a recent poll, tells this. At the end of 1998, actually, some time ago, Barna reported that 82% of Americans said they felt the need to experience 
spiritual growth. Are you like Rob? No real need, don't really see the concern, don't really see the importance of growing spiritually. It sounds a little much, doesn't it? I mean, the idea that God would expect us to actually grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and our Savior. What's the disciple? We talked about this Wednesday night, which by the way, this should be a refresher. If you remember at the beginning of this year, long before God brought me to this book, one of the things He impressed on my heart at the start of this year that was part of our visionary sermon was about discipleship and the need for us as Christians to be involved in making disciples this year. But what is a disciple? We've been doing this on Wednesday night. Our whole study on Wednesday night, which, by the way, i got to boast a little bit. For those of you who showed up Wednesday night, praise God. For those of you who missed it, I encourage you, come. God's doing something on Wednesday night. It's awesome. We had the biggest crowd we have had in a long time Wednesday night, and it was an excellent discussion. We'll have the coffee on. Tyson hooked us up last week. Somebody else, feel free to jump on it this week. Love to see you. We're going more in depth on this. But what is a disciple? We get a glimpse of this in this passage. Acts 9, 1 through 2. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Simply put, a disciple is a follower of the way. Who's the way? The truth and the life? Jesus Christ, right? You see, those early disciples were known by this. They were following in the teachings of the apostles who were following the teachings of Christ. They were testifying of the death and the burial and the resurrection for their sin. They had surrendered their heart. They had bowed their knee and their life to Jesus Christ. He would tell them, come, follow me. Come, follow me throughout his ministry. And guys, he's still asking people today, come, follow me. That's still Jesus Christ's plea. And if we're going to be a disciple, which means a follower of Jesus Christ, one who follows the way, then we must walk in the way. What is a disciple? Followers of Jesus. If any man's to be a disciple of mine, he's to deny himself, take up his cross. And follow me. Guys, we need to do some self-examination in our study on a healthy church because we make up the church. We believers, if you're born again Christian, it's not optional. When you join the military, many of you did, you belong to them. Guys, we are in the Lord's army. 
We are to be good soldiers, not entangled with the affairs of the world. We are enlisted men and women. We are in the Lord's army. We are to be followers of our commander. And our commander, our Lord, is Jesus Christ. And He's asked us, He's commanded us to follow Him. To understand this concept, we're going to do a overview survey as fast as we can. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you, I've got to move fast today because there's a lot of info. Don't want you to get bogged down. If you're a note taker, it's okay. I'm giving you permission to let your pen rest. Okay? I would say just hit maybe the scripture references, write those down, you can look them up later. But a biblical theology of growth. We've got to go all the way back to the beginning of time to understand this overarching theme that God has in scripture. The Old Testament, there was a focus on numerical growth. You remember from Genesis 1.22 in the first chapter of the Bible, God commanded the creatures of the land and sea to multiply. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And He gave that command and more to Adam and Eve, just a few verses later, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Later in Genesis, God promised Abraham that the number of his descendants would be great and would increase. When the children of Israel went down into Egypt into captivity, they multiplied and increased in number. That was a sign of God's blessing. God blessed them again when they went into the promised land. Even when they were taken into exile in Babylon, what happened? The Lord instructed them through Jeremiah, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. One thing that the Bible teaches about growth is that the kingdom of heaven will grow. This was prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus promised it as well in the New Testament. We sing that prophecy around Christmas time each year, don't we? You think about the passage from Isaiah 9-7 where the Lord promised that the kingdom of the Messiah would grow. And so you see this movement from the Old Testament. And by the way, the slide we skipped in regards to after the flood destroyed the, the world, what did he command Noah and his, uh, his sons? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. There's this idea of being fruitful and multiplying that we see numerically, specifically in the Old Testament as God is filling the earth, populating it as part of His plan. We see Israel influencing uh, the land throughout the nations and yet eventually those nations begin to influence them. And we move towards the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah. Notice what that Isaiah 9-7 passage has to say. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so you see God's plan kind of unfolding on the pages of the Old Testament. And then we come to this in the day of Christ. One of the last things he told his followers, and gang, this is still instructions to us. Go. Therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Who are you teaching? When we speak of being a disciple, we speak of being a follower of Christ. But Christ has commanded us to make disciples. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Mark Dever, and again, I encourage you to check out the online study of this, this specific video, does a great job in explaining how God designed the local church to help fulfill this, guys. This is the hub. This place you're in right now is exactly God's plan for making disciples. Now, this indicates that as you go throughout, as you do life, yes, we're to continue to do that. But this is the holy huddle. This is the gathering place. What is taking place right now is I am discipling you. I am teaching you God's Word. You say, well, I'm not a teacher. God has taught you some things. Believe that. And if he hasn't, hold on. We got some lessons coming, right? But Christ gives us the instruction. He gives us the commission. He gives us the command. And none of us are immune to that. It's not optional. Well, sir, I signed up for the military, but I really don't want to do that. I didn't know I was going to have to do that. I'm just going to go over here and see it. Military people, does that, is that going to fly? <laughs> I'm just guessing. I, you know, I never was in the military, but I'm going to assume that doesn't fly. Maybe, well, anyway, I'll shush. A biblical theology of growth. You see this transition here with this statement. The New Testament focus is not about numerical growth. It's about spiritual growth. Now, I'm a firm believer, gang, if we're growing spiritually, we should start to experience some numerical growth. I, I believe that. I believe that kind of goes hand in hand. But sometimes, not necessarily, not necessarily. I would rather have ten faithful followers that are sold out for Jesus, storming hell with a squirt gun, than to have ten thousand that are lukewarm. There's abundance in fruit. And sometimes that fruit to be produced, there's pruning in order for that to happen. Sometimes growth happens by decreasing in size. Right? We live in a society where things are measured by how many? Well, how many did y'all have at y'all's uh, church service last Sunday? You know? How many, how many people got saved yesterday at that rally? Guys, I have found, and we're going to learn through this, that's God's business. That's God's business. Your business, my business, is just be faithful to what He's called us to do. Leave the results to Him. Leave the results to Him. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You see that in Acts 6, 1 and also in verse 7. We continue on and we see this. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. 
Acts 12, 24. I want you to observe what's happening in the early church uh, following that great commission. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Acts 13, 49. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Acts 19, 20. Do we see a common theme? Guys, I can already tell you, and you already know this, if we're going to be a healthy church, if you're going to be a healthy believer, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to be a disciple, the Word of God better be front and center in your heart and life. And let's just be real. Ask yourself this question. When's the last time you genuinely opened up the Word of God and read it? Now, I know, listen, I, I, I'm not, I don't need you to come up to me after church and say, well, uh, preacher, I read my Bible every morning. I don't want you to know, but I, I, I'm not, okay, that's good. I'm glad, all right? Keep doing it. I'm not talking to you, obviously, right? Just saying. I'm glad you keep doing it. But some of you, the last time you've actually opened up the Word of God and meditated on it and read it, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to exhort you. I'm trying to encourage you. Guys, you're never going to grow spiritually if you're not feeding on the Word of God. This is His way of doing things. So we find numerical growth going on in the New Testament just as in the Old Testament, but the growth that we find discussed and urged and prayed for in the New Testament isn't simply numerical growth. It's spiritual growth. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, again, written to the church. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head. Guys, let me just stop right there. Because man, oh man, here's something for all of us. We need to grow up. You ever tell your kids that? You need to grow up. Stop acting like that. You need to grow up. Gang, we need to all grow up. I'm serious, man. We are like babies. Wetting our pants and crying for our mama, spiritually speaking, of course. I mean, seriously. We're in a bad way in the church in America. We are in a bad way. There ain't no appetite for the things of God. There's no hunger and thirst for righteousness. We need to grow up into Him who is the head. That is Christ. From Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part sits, stays at home, doesn't come to church. Is that what that says? It builds itself up in love as each part does its work. God's plan for a healthy church is for every one of you I'm looking at this morning. Every one of you. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer, then I'm not talking to you. But everyone that's sitting here and I'm looking at it within the sound of my voice, if you're here and you're a believer and you're a part of this body, you're identifying with this local assembly, I don't care if you're a member or not. If you've been feeding here, this is your eating joint. I don't eat at McDonald's and go pay at Wendy's. I'm just saying... If you're part of this restaurant called the Jesus Fest, 
You're expected, according to Scripture, to do your part. Because it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about the body of Christ. It's about us building each other up. It's about us encouraging one another. It's about us loving one another so that when Miss Bobby's sick and, 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 and struggling, we're loving her. We're praying for her. We're lifting her up to, to God. When, when we've got issues where somebody's struggling in, in a family, they've got a wayward child, we're interceding, we're praying. When somebody's sick and we're bringing them food, when somebody's got a work project at their house, they call up Josh Quinn. I mean, you know, we help one another, guys. This is, how are they going to know you're a follower of the way? How are they going to know you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? Answer me. By your church attendance? By how often you read your Bible? By what? Say it loud. Your love for one another. Your love for one another. This is how we know we're disciples. This is how we know we're followers of Christ. We love one another. You love me even when I say boneheaded stuff. I love that about you. My wife does too. <laughs> Colossians 2.19, speaking of Christ, who is the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Who causes it to grow? You mean it's not our marketing approach? Man. And Dustin, you did a great job on those signs, but I, it's not the signs that's going to grow us. Man, but it's still good work. You mean Pastor Nate's not going to be the one who grows the church with these awesome events like he put on yesterday? You mean that's not going to grow the church? I thought, man, Pastor Nate, why do we bring you here? I mean, I thought that's why I was going to go to church. You know, it's not going to be Pastor Jeremy's good looks and charm. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and it's his humility. I'm just kidding. I have a face for radio, but we're no longer on the radio. No, guys, it's none of these things. It's not our effort. Thank you, Lord. Guess what? Y'all just got off the hook. Every one of you just got off the hook because it's not up to you. But I don't, I don't really want to share my faith. I'm scared. They might reject me. No, they're not going to reject you. They might reject Jesus, but they ain't going to reject you. I, I don't want to take a stand with my peer pressure of my friends because they might think something. It's not about you. Let your light shine so they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Because we don't need to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Too many of us are ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the gospel has not, has not impacted your life, that there is a repentance, that there is a change. If the gospel has not transformed your life, you may have the wrong gospel. The gospel changes us. The gospel transforms us. Paul reminded them that Hey, look, he planted the seed, Paulus watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Guys, we just have to be faithful. You mean all I got to do is throw the seed? Absolutely. You mean all I got to do is water? Absolutely. God grows it. God himself is committed to ensuring the growth of his church. 
Mark 4, 26 through 27. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. This was freeing years ago. I thank you all for letting me preach last week at Allison's uh, parents' church. Oh, you guys just don't know how good y'all had it last Sunday. Some of y'all heard the story. Some of y'all witnessed it. A couple of folks drove up, and I appreciate that greatly. It was 12, listen, started at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock, and it's homecoming. So everybody ready to eat already, because it's homecoming. I mean, you come in wanting that chicken casserole. You come in wanting grandma's mac and cheese. I mean, we want some good eating. It's, you can smell it. Oh, man. Oh, mm. It's 11 o'clock. Smells are already filling the house. And guess what happened? 1220. 1220. Let's let Brother Varner come on up now. Dudes, I took the pulpit at 1220. <laughs> they didn't know me well, did they? And I'm going to be real with you. I was just straightforward honest. I said, look, we have spent an hour, you know me, I'm not shy. We just spent an hour and 20 minutes, guys, singing. This is what I told them. We just spent an hour and 20 minutes singing. I guess that means I get an hour and 20 minutes to preach. I mean, really? Where's the focus? The Word of God is our focus, right? It should be. And then I, they, they could kind of laugh like y'all did. And I said, y'all think I'm kidding. I said, I got two church members here. You ask the Barnetts. You, you ask them. They'll tell you. My average sermon's 52 minutes. We ain't going nowhere for a while, so y'all go ahead and stand up, stretch your legs. And they did. They stood up, stretched their legs. But I'm going to say this. God showed up, and, and I preached till 1 o'clock. Now, look, you know, don't mean y'all getting preached till 1 o'clock, but also don't mean you're getting a 40-minute message either. But God moved, and it was encouraging. But guys, I had two men come up to me, preachers. You preachers, you know, you know preachers. Came up to me later and said, man, that was a good message, brother. That's a good message. But I tell you one thing I wish you'd have done. I wish you'd have gave an invitation. I wish you'd have gave an altar call. You know, they were of that cloth, like I used to be. And I said, guys, he's, in fact, one of them caught himself because he, he, he could tell. He was like, but, but I know, I know, you, you, you sowed some seed and you watered seed. And I said, that's right. Who's going to bring the increase? God is. God's going to do a lot more in that moment in the heart of the listener than I could ever do through some manipulative pull, some kind of coercing. Now, that's not to say we should in times when led by the Spirit of God, we should in those moments give decision. And there was decision response opportunity. But whether somebody walks the pew and prays a prayer... That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a change in the heart. We're talking about a receiving of what God has delivered through His Word and His Spirit. And salvation belongs to the Lord. God grows it. God causes the growth. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 and 13. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May He strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all His holy ones.
2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen? Guys, we must grow as Christians. A biblical practice of growth. That's why we're doing this study. That's why we're doing the nine marks of the church. Expositional preaching is a biblical practice of growth. Biblical theology is a biblical practice of growth. The gospel, getting it straight and clear, is a biblical practice of growth. Conversion, biblical conversion, not repeated magic words. True heart transformation. True belief in the heart of man so that his mouth can't help but confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Evangelism, we're all called to do it. Like it or not. These are biblical practices of growth. Church membership is a biblical practice of growth. Church discipline is a practice of growth. Discipleship and growth. That's natural. That's part of practicing what we're learning And we'll look next week, Lord willing, at church leadership. Our church covenant. I'm going to skip through these. I'm going to wrap this up. The importance of good growth. It's important again. 1 Peter 2.2 says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Again, guys, how are you going to grow? How does a baby grow? You've got to get in the Word of God. Let the Word of God get in you. Pastor Nate announced earlier your Word of Life quiet times are here. If you didn't get a Word of Life daily quiet time, please get one. See him. He'll order you one. We'll get you one. Um, we got to stay in the Word. Grow in the grace and knowledge. If we are to grow as individual believers and as churches, we must sit under the Word. We must pray for the Holy Spirit to plant and to weed the gardens of our hearts. This spiritual growth is not optional. It's vital. Because spiritual growth indicates life. Things that are truly alive grow. And I'm a firm believer, if we'll start discipling, being discipled, being faithful in discipleship, understanding the importance of the Word of God being at the center of everything we're doing, and you're feeding on that, we will begin to grow spiritually, and I think you'll see spillover numerically. So what if we don't grow? What about Rob? Remember the story I read? What about Rob? Why was Rob apparently not growing in his Christian life? Was Rob perhaps... Not a Christian at all? Wow. That seems a little harsh, doesn't it? That seems a little judgmental. Yes. In 1 Corinthians, Paul refers to carnal Christians. He writes, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, carnal. Mere infants in Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.1 But who are these people? Are these carnal Christians a middle category of people who have Jesus in their lives but not on the throne of their lives? It sounds like a strange idea, doesn't it? On the one hand, you've got Christians who have Christ as Lord with Him on the throne. Then on the other side, you have non-Christians. But some argue there is an interesting middle category where Christ really is in the person's life, but He's not on the throne. These are the carnal Christians. 
I think a more natural way to read the verse is that Paul is shaming his readers by speaking of these, quote, self-confessed Christians as worldly. In calling them worldly or carnal, Paul is intentionally using an oxymoron. An oxymoron is the joining of two contradictory words, like jumbo shrimp. Think about it. It's an oxymoron. An oxymoron is the joining of two contradictory words. In that sense, a carnal Christian would be like hot ice. It's just like uh, supposed to make, it's not supposed to make any sense. By writing in these terms, Paul is basically telling his readers, get off the fence. You're living differently than you are professing. You cannot do that. Those horses go in opposite directions. So jump off of one or the other. That's what Paul's saying. But we justify our lifestyle. We justify our choices. Because self is at the center of the throne and we love self. We all do. But that's the part that has to die. And I close with this text. This was our visionary text at the beginning of this year. May the Holy Spirit remind us what we learned then, what we meditated on then, what we talked about then. Luke 14, 25-35. Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now you guys know he's not talking literally hating your mom and dad or your... But he's saying in contrast that love for him should pale in comparison. There should be nothing else that captures your heart like your love for Christ. Nothing should capture your heart and, and there should be no one, nothing that you desire to follow more than your sweet Savior who's redeemed you from an eternal hell. Who's forgiving you of every filthy atrocity that we have ever committed. Guys, I, I, me and Quinn spent three days in a bunch of mucky sewer water up under a house this week. Alright? It stinks. But as I was reminded by Brother Carver how stinky our lives are as sinners. And yet Christ loved us and gave His life for us to redeem us. And as saints, we're a sweet-smelling aroma in the nostrils of God. Not because of us, but because of Christ and His sacrifice. If anyone comes to me, he says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it. All who see it begin to mock and say, this man began to build and he's not able to finish. Or what king going to make war again against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 a meeting who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, 
how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. But men, throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus made it clear that he wanted prospective disciples not to make an emotional decision to follow him, that they might renounce after giving it thought. Rather, he wanted them first to consider the cost, then choose to follow him, even though they knew the cost was great and would extend for the rest of their earthly lives. Dennis Rogers. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. So what about Rob? Maybe you're a Rob. Yeah, I prayed the prayer. Yeah, I go to church. Surrender my life? Follow Christ? Give Him every access to every room in my being? I don't know about that. You know, that sounds an awful lot like some of the encounters Jesus had. Yeah, I'll follow you, but, but first let me go finish out over here. My mom and dad are sick, and I need to take care of them, and then, and then when they die, I'll get the inheritance, and I'll, then I'll come and follow you. I, I, I just need to take care of some things first. Well, I got a lot of possessions, and, you know, I go to church. I'm religious. I, I've kept the law, and I follow the commands, and, and you know, but, but oh, yeah, I, giving up everything? I, and that, I, mm, uh, that's a little fanatical. I don't know what God puts his finger on in your life, and I'm not standing up here like some founder of JW is trying to tell you to sell all your belongings and time's running short and we must, you know, so everybody get rid of all your property and let's all go together and, you know, live in a compound. And no, that's not what we're talking about, guys. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. But what Jesus is talking about is what is the idol of your heart? What is the area in your life that you're not letting go of that you know he's got his finger on and you're wrestling? You're going to lose. Trust me on this one. He loves you, and He wants to remove some things that's hindering your growth. And He uses the local church. This is the hub. This is His plan. This is your family. And we desire your giftedness to build up one another so that we can love one another. But we got some baggage we got to let go of at the cross of Calvary. And only you know where he's putting his finger in your life. Can I plead with you today? Lay it down, whatever it is, and follow him. Discipleship is always an inescapable war between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. And that is so true. You may be a believer and you may have all of Christ, but my question to you is, does he have all of you? 
A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you helping to make disciples? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this study, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And Lord, specifically the subject of discipleship and growth. And Lord, I pray that all of us will prayerfully before you in this closing moment ask you to hit a reset button in our heart. As if I could have somebody, yes. As Lord, you probe our heart. May we be willing to open up and confess. We know. We already know. We've been fighting it. We've been hiding it. We've been suppressing it. We, Lord, we know. We know. We know what we need to give up. We know what we need to do. We just, just can't find the strength. There's fear. There's whatever. Lord, you know what it is. And I pray, Lord, whatever it is, that we just surrender, that we just give it up. And so, Father, in this moment again, right where everybody's sitting, let them do inventory with you. And let your Holy Spirit search our heart. And help us to confess the sins that need to be confessed. Help us to lay down the baggage. The, as your word says, the sins that so easily trip us. And so, Father, again, you do and you work where only you can work in the heart of man. Father, I pray for the church body as a whole that we will be recommitted in faithfulness to the local church. I was so excited and encouraged this past week with the Wednesday night Bible study, and it was a great joy. I know everyone that was here felt the excitement, the energy, and just the blessing it was. It was an encouragement. It was edifying to look around the room and see others here hungry and thirsty for your word. And Lord, I pray that will continue. I pray that you put that in our hearts as we begin a new fall season coming up with Word of Life clubs, our children's programs. Financial Peace University, our Bible study on Sunday night with apologetics. Lord, there's so many new things getting ready to happen. Let it be a reset in the season of our heart that will draw us nearer to you and that we will truly grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And we will give him the praise because he alone is worthy. In the name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said...